Chicago Red Stars fall series. We thought we were done. Um, so many times during this year, you think this is done, right? And then it keeps on going. And same thing happened with NWSL soccer. Uh, Challenge Cup was really the thing that was supposed to happen. And it was such a successful thing that happened. And then we started seeing other successful sports things happen outside of NWSL Challenge Cup uh, throughout other leagues. And there was still a good chunk of calendar year left. And after a lot of probably quick, uh, frantic, possibly discussions, phone calls, decisions, and things like that were made. And the development of a fall series was announced. It was going to be a quick uh, round robin style type of format with uh, certain teams uh, in their own respective bubbles. The concept of regional pods came into play. Uh, so three teams divided over uh, three pods to limit travel, to try to limit exposure and all of those things. Um, not as big of rosters as we saw um, coming into this competition. More players made the option to either opt out completely or do like a partial opt out. We saw players maybe play their, their couple home games and then say, I'm done, which was also perfectly fine, to be quite honest. And uh, for Chicago Red Stars, uh, they also kind of shook some things up. They didn't have this wasn't the same type of uh, mentality, I think, going into fall series. So the roster looked different for fall series. And uh, it also included the, the absence of Julie Ertz, who just said, I'm done. And to be honest, that's fine. You know what you're getting out of Julie Ertz. Uh, but ahead of that, with all the uncertainty around fall series, a number of players had decided to make decisions for themselves, right, and try to seek out uh, opportunities, uh, playing opportunities uh, overseas in Europe. And we saw an influx of players uh, make their moves, whether it was big time names, somebody like uh, Alex Morgan or Sam Mewis, right? Uh, but we also saw that for the Chicago Red Stars. And we got to um, hear how certain players were going to go take ventures over there. So we saw uh, Kayla Sharples uh, head overseas. Uh, I believe she's playing in uh, Finland. And, uh, you know, Mackenzie Doniak and, and Emily Boyd were headed off to, to Denmark. Uh, Rachel Hill was going to uh, play in Sweden. Uh, Cassie Miller was going to head on back to Cyprus uh, with a club that she had uh, been playing with. And uh, Yuki Nagasato. Um, joined in amateur men's side. And that was, of course, incredibly, incredibly cool. Uh, that was fun to, uh, to learn about. And seeing all that shift and the uncertainty and then all of a sudden a fall series gets announced, you maybe kind of have to plug in some holes depending on players who do not maybe want to participate or uh, cannot participate because obviously there were some injuries coming out of Challenge Cup that uh, players were still dealing with. So we saw some um, additions that were made for Chicago, even though it wasn't as huge of a roster. Obviously, Alyssa Nair was going to be in net. She was someone who opted in, uh, but they still needed a backup goalkeeper uh, with two of them having gone overseas. So we saw the introduction of uh, Kelsey Daughtry uh, for defenders, uh, Cameron Bigalski, uh, the return of Tierna Davidson, who we didn't get to see too much of uh, during Challenge Cup, Hannah Davidson, Sarah Gordon, Zoe Gorowski, Zoe Morris, Casey Short. 
Bianca St. George's and someone who we were all very, very excited to see, even if she was listed on the Defender Corps, Erin Wright uh, made her return in 2020 after all. Uh, midfielders for Danny Colaprico, Vanessa DiBernardo, Gordon Gatra, the addition of Ariel Chevron, one of those uh, drafted players for Chicago in 2020 who did not make the Challenge Cup roster, but found her way in for fall series and Katie Johnson, Sarah Luber, Savannah McCaskill, Kalia Watt were the forward court and the addition of Danny Rhodes uh, out of Wisconsin. So much smaller, but interesting names. Nonetheless, I know Claire, you and I were excited about uh, being able to watch some more Red Star soccer, but specifically against teams like Sky Blue and, and the Spirit um, just because they're teams that we enjoy sort of watching what they're building on and what they're doing, um, kind of hearing these teams refer to themselves in very similar ways, kind of looking at them at it's like a little bit of a black and blue division, a grit, uh, gritty grinders division kind of thing. Um, and the prospect of uh, being able to catch a couple local games at Bridgeview. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to summarize quickly, which we should, because how much is there to say about the fall series? But um I think for me, the the summary of it is I'm really, I feel very lucky that the best game that Chicago played in the fall was the one that we got to see in person. Um, the, uh, and, and I mean, you can go back and forth, like, you know, Chicago, that particular game against Sky Blue, Sky Blue was trying to do some stuff that didn't work as well. And they obviously flipped the script on them in the last fall series game, but that Vanessa DiBernardo goal was the best Chicago goal of the year. And the fact that we got to see that unfold in person um, was like, that was it. That was the proof of concept. That was like, the sh- <laughs> they all took a bow and said, we are the Chicago red stars. You know, like that was, that was the, that was the thing that, that we were so hoping to see, you know, when John talks about the possibility of something really special coming together, you're like, that's it, that thing. Um, and so I feel very lucky that we got to be there and we got to, um, to see that. Um, while also, you know, the rest, like those were honestly also just their two best games, the, the draw against Washington and then the win against sky blue were the two better performances of that whole series. And we got to see those live and, um, it keeps you going, you know, to get to, to get to do that stuff while also understanding that like Sandra and I took a risk going and doing that. We had the ability to go do that. We were able to get cars, um, you know, to go do that. Uh, you know, that was a privilege, uh, what we got to go see. And so there's, there's that element as well. And, um, yeah, that's my main takeaway from the fall series was just like, felt very lucky to get to watch them play and get to do some good stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. John mentioned it with the challenge cup portion, um, uh, watching this team and if they had a little bit more time, right. To kind of figure their stuff out and, uh, watching a player like McCaskill continue building on what she was building on watching Kalia Watt doing what she was doing. I mean, we're watching a player whose work rate on the field was so, so impressive. Um, I almost felt kind of like that. I'm like, I felt like Khalil Watt was always a player that, yeah, I would like pay attention to on the pitch when watching NWSL games and getting a chance to watch it uh, in a Red Stars lens. I was like, man, I was like, Khalil Watt works. (laughs) 
Sarah Lubert too. That was maybe the the other main thing from the fall series is just being like, man, Sarah Lubert came. You talk about a player that showed up and said, I'm going to be on this team. Sarah yeah. Lubert, man, that sky blue game. She was tired the, the week, the weekend after, but that sky blue game where she was just everywhere. I was like, that is someone who has it, has the drive, has the commitment. That is a player that wants to be here and wants to work her ass off for this team. Yeah, the uh, the most successful forwards for Chicago are the forwards who play defense. So it yeah, was yeah. it was uh, quite impressive uh, to see that. But uh, I do have some beef that I want to bring up, and I miss John. I miss you, John. <laughs> yeah, so I know. We didn't get to see each other this year, and uh, the opportunity was there, and fortunately, that doesn't always work out. Uh, so what I really want to know is, did you miss me? <laughs> I miss both of you quite a bit, probably more than you know this year. It's, uh, it's, it's been sad, but it's also been really happy when I've had the, the chance to talk to you guys. And I know that, you know, obviously people listening don't know this, but we talk quite a bit. Uh, yeah, we had the, we had the group chat going. Yeah. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was very, very, very jealous when you took the picture this year uh, in the press box and, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't there, but, uh, yeah, very, all difficult. that was, all that was missing was the awkward dad next to us. I've, I've never wanted to drive to SeatGeek from the Northern suburbs worse. <laughs> That'll wear off, oh. I think. Oh man. Here's to, uh, potentially, uh that happening in in 2021 uh the red stars you know they put together the performances that they put together in the fall series we we got to see some goals uh format was a bit different there wasn't necessarily a shiny trophy to play for but the concept of having a grant awarded to top three teams based on points uh was a conceptual thing that got thrown around a cool thing actually something that was never done before uh for nwsl and uh, shout out to the Red Stars for choosing Semlin, the bookstore. Uh, fortunately, they fell short of being able to, to get them a grant. But it was very cool to, to hear about all that stuff during fall series. Yeah. Also, just even in the context of you talk about everything just being a little bit more holistic this year. Um, the fact that, you know, they had... You know, it's it's all, you know, all of it is kind of, it's all PR, it's it's whatever. But like you have this video of Sarah Lubert, Ella Stevens, and Zoe Morse going to Semicolon and getting some books and getting some good books from from that store and, and going and, and being in that neighborhood. Um, I do feel like the more, it's like, you know, Sandra was kind of saying this when she was talking about the Challenge Cup, like there is not only like, obviously you want your players like in and around the city because it's an amazing city, but also like you want them in and around the city because this is the city that they're representing and they should know it. Um, and so I thought that, you know, I, the community grant thing, it kind of is what it is and it, it wasn't going to influence, you know, the outcomes of games, but um, that idea that Chicago doesn't, they don't want to be the Bridgeview Red Stars. They want to be the Chicago Red Stars. And so every opportunity they got to kind of push further into that, I thought was also very positive. Yeah, it was exciting to kind of take in those those couple games uh, in Bridgeview. 
seeing kind of the bare <laughs> remains of uh, Chicago firedom that was there and knowing, you know, the Red Stars are going to, are going to be the, the permanent tenants. They're going to be the primary tenants of Bridgeview. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was nice to sort of see that and, and know that potentially there was going to be like more of a Red Stars feel uh, within that spot. Yeah, John, John, other than missing us terribly, um, <laughs> did you have any thoughts on the fall series? Anything like, is there a thing that you kind of thought overall was kind of going on there? A thing that maybe you didn't see earlier in the year? Or Well, I would just go back to what I was saying earlier was that I really felt like, you know, I think Watt finished with two goals and two assists. And, uh, and I felt like McCaskill was, was coming on. You guys mentioned Lubert too. I think I just, it, it's just, it's just one of those sad things. And I have a lot of thoughts about McCaskill in general, but I just think it's one of those sad things where it felt like you were going to get to this point and now it's just never going to happen. And, um, well, that sounds like a segue, John. <laughs> well, I mean, we can, we can jump right into the trade if you want. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, you know, and to think that McCaskill's last game with, with Chicago is going to be that red star or that red card game. Um, it is pretty sad. And, um, but just one other thing on a, on a happier note. Um, I, I think it was really important that we got to see Tierna Davidson a little bit. And I know Sandra mentioned that earlier, but, um, I don't think most people realize how serious her injury was last fall and how long that recovery was. Like, I remember she had surgery. Well, yeah, and we and they like nobody was ever kind of told about this, right? Um, and I don't remember. I think it was, I think it, maybe it was Claire. I can't remember. One of you, one of us found a picture online of her speaking at like an elementary school. She had a boo. Yeah, had a boo, and this was yeah. months. Yeah. After this, um, you know, and it turned out that she has some nerve damage, and I don't think anybody's sure a hundred percent that she's going to be able to get back to to you know day in day out i think that's still an issue at this point and for her to get on the field was encouraging because <laughs> listen i, I don't want to be or sound hyperbolic but i really think she's the next becky sauerbrunn and to think that chicago has a player of that caliber and could potentially have her for 10 years is incredible uh, and if they lose that or her career gets cut short due to, due to you know, this, this fluke training accident, that would just be uh, really one of the truly sad stories. Yeah, that was uh, watching that moment in that very early fall series game where she got the start finally. And then um, all of a sudden there was the red card that was issued and then watching everybody just sort of get up and have her back was was pretty was pretty funny it was iconic to sort of close out fall series in a game like that a loss but loyalty well and also you know i i can obviously can't speak to how she's feeling physically but um in her limited minutes in the fall series she was very good um her long ball stats were like, I mean, obviously with limited passes that can go a couple of different ways, but she had like an 80 something percent long ball accuracy. Like the stuff she was doing was, was really quite good. She got onto into the Washington game briefly. And then I think 
start started the the last sky blue game and um so that was i would say just eyeballing it and i i didn't i didn't know that about kind of whatever i mean obviously you can tell but lingering stuff um the fact that not only was she playing but she was playing well i think was really promising as well yeah uh i i don't know if i'm gonna hit us with the um I don't know if I'm going to hit us with the fall series MVP because I think the fall series MVP was just getting through it. I'll give that to Lubert though. I think she did great. She did really great. She did do great. Yeah. I think, yeah, let's give it to Sarah Lubert. Sarah Lubert went out there and said, if you didn't think I was a red star, bet. Yep. Here it is. So that was nice. And uh, maybe underneath that, Kalia Watt, because she finally For got sure. her goals. So, yeah. Uh, it took, it took working through it, but uh, she was, it turns out, she was just waiting to get home and uh, scoring them uh, at Bridgeview. So it was good to to see them uh, and their play together. And it's been really nice to also sort of hear with our interviews with Kalia, uh, how Lubert is a player that she's really enjoying playing with and connecting with. So that's, that's very, very important too, as the team kind of maybe moves into this next phase of uh, establishing what their offense wants to look like. So let's seg into that a little bit. Cause I cannot wait to hear my boys' opinions on this. Uh, just to step back, because there was a trade today, actually, as to, as we're recording this on the night that it happened. Um, prior to that, though, uh, an expansion draft took place, and really, pretty quickly after Fall Series concluded. Fall Series concluded, a trade window had to to be closed eventually. A lot of people were getting hyped up about the expansion draft that was going to be taking place in November. So really just a few weeks off from the conclusion of fall series, which uh, ended at the end of October. So lots to discuss there. Uh, head coach Christy Holly was tasked with having to, to make some selections. Uh, the other NWSL clubs were tasked with having to make protected roster lists and leaving certain players unprotected just for context purposes. The teams uh, were given rules a little bit different this year, obviously in light of everything being impacted by COVID-19 previous rules, non-playoff teams were allowed to protect nine play, uh, 10 players and playoff teams were only allowed to protect nine in 2020. Every single team was allowed to protect 11 players with only up to two actual U.S. allocated players. Any leftover U.S. allocated players must have been left unprotected. So there were some there was some flexibility in, in number of players being allowed to be protected. Um, but if you're a team like Chicago or Portland or, or Carolina who had had a significant number of allocated players, there were some decisions that you had to make. And I think for us – we were maybe wondering how that was going to look like we were toying and tinkering around with the concept of, you know, what would our protected list look like and unprotected list look like. So John, the Red Stars made a trade. They decided we're not even going to mess with this. Let's make a deal. And the deal that they made Chrissy Holly and racing Louisville FC was to trade them Savannah McCaskill Yuki Nagasato and internet two international uh, slots for 2021 and 2022 and a draft pick. So first round draft pick, first round draft pick number five. And yeah. uh, it seemed like a big blow in a couple different ways. And I just want you to talk about those couple different ways. Yeah. I, th- this is a tough one for me. And, and I've been somebody who 
who has sung Rory's praises quite a bit in terms of his ability to, to master trade and let's be fair, take advantage of teams uh, in a lot of cases in the past. But I really feel like the shoe was on the other foot on this one because not only did you lose McCaskill and Nagasato, but th- there's a cherry on top, which I don't get. Like, that's not a big enough you lost two players that you could have potentially lost in an expansion draft anyway. And then you add on something on top of that, which seemed kind of insane to me, but um, you know, I feel bad for Savannah McCaskill. uh, I guess to start with her, just because I felt like she had found a home in Chicago and I felt like we were going to get to a point. I, I really thought it would have happened this year in a normal year that we would have finally gotten to see what Savannah McCaskill can be because I think for people who watched her play in college or uh, watched her you know when she was getting U.S. national team call-ups or or even watched her in the W League saw that her ceiling I'm not saying she's there but her potential ceiling I think is a game-changing international and I think if she had stayed in Chicago in a year or two, we might have seen her get to that level. And now it wouldn't shock me if, if a year or two from now, she's not even playing professional soccer, because I think that one thing that we've seen from McCaskill is that she needs to be in the right environment to thrive. And when we saw her um, in New Jersey, that clearly was not the right environment. And I think even when Chicago acquired her, it took a long time, right? I mean, we, we even saw in the final that she wasn't there. You know, half a season in Chicago wasn't enough, but people were singing her praises in the off season with the work that she was doing. She did seem to come into this season recommitted to establishing herself. And um, I just, it just, it, it's a tough thing to see her, leaving again because we don't know what's going to happen with racing they're an expansion club um they're if if we're being totally honest they're probably not going to put a super competitive team on the field next year and if she's not in the right environment i think you're pretty likely to see her play drop back off um and then we we just don't know what happens and that and that stinks and that stinks from you know obviously it stinks from a chicago perspective because it would have benefited the Red Stars, but I think it just stinks from a, a human perspective because I really, really like her as a player and I really think she has an incredibly high ceiling. And I just, my gut instinct is that we're just never going to get to see that. And that just makes me sad. Um, I think the Nagasato thing too is another gut punch because you can look at what Yuki did on the field, which was pretty tremendous, especially last year, which is a player in her mid thirties, who's really seems to be still at like the top of her game or maybe arguably even getting better. And, and that's one thing, but I think what she meant to the city, what she meant to the fans is again, kind of an added layer to that where she meant a lot to the people here. She meant a lot to the fans. And I think she meant a lot to the team in terms of the team's chemistry, how players interacted with each other, the attitude that she brought into the locker room, because look, Chicago has a lot of very serious players and Rory is a very serious coach. 
And you kind of need that person who is both really good, but also has that kind of lighthearted spirit about her, which Yuki has very clearly. You know, you spend five minutes with Yuki and you're laughing and you're smiling. And she's both kind of a goofball and very, very good and very, very dedicated to what she does. And to find that combination in, in any sort of competitive sport, I think is so incredibly rare. And so they're not only losing two incredible players, but they're losing, they're losing something more than that in the attitude and the feeling um, uh, in the locker room. And it's just, I, I just didn't get it. I thought that there were different ways that they could have approached the expansion draft and, uh, and, and stayed stronger as a team. And I think that we, we might, we can't quantify what they were bringing outside of, of the numbers on the field, but I think it's a higher price than they needed to pay. After, um, after going, watching Racing Louisville go through that expansion draft, did your feeling like elaborate or expand or get stronger? You know, like, did you feel more <laughs> concrete in that? I thought it was a bad decision when it was made. And I thought it was exponentially worse after I saw how racing handled the draft because it was clear that racing was making some really off the wall decisions and Chicago, when you, when you look at what other teams lost compared to what Chicago lost, there is not a team in the league that lost more than Chicago lost. I wonder, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody how to do their job. I wonder a little bit if Chicago put some ideas in Louisville's head and that's what happens when you negotiate, I think sometimes, um, when you are given an offer and then you counter and then all of that sort of stuff, you know, you, you maybe come up with some stuff that they would not have come up with on their own. Um, yeah. I mean, now I'm sad again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with all of that. I'm, I'm probably still where I'm at with it the way that I was when it first happened, which is that I think that um, uh, it's just unfortunate because I think that I have to imagine that Louisville came to Chicago with an allocated player that they wanted that would have played for them. And then instead they drafted two allocated players that are not going to play for them. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. How do you go from there to there? I don't know. Um, but I guess Louisville also kind of got what they wanted out of Chicago. So everything else is like uh, confetti. So I don't know. Hypothetical question, because these are two players, maybe Nagasato more than McCaskill that we got to cover extensively for a certain amount of time. Um, so hypothetically, do you think that Yuki Nagasato is going to be the type of player for racing Louisville FC that she was for Chicago? Because you've already kind of, I'm only asking about Yuki because you've kind of already elaborated, John, about what you think the outcome for Savannah could possibly be. What do you think about Nagasato? I think the same thing. I, she's a player who, number one, is going to need some players around her. And I'm not sure that racing... I, listen, I don't think racing exactly handled the draft well. So I think they haven't built the strongest team they could have. Uh, and number two, I, I think Yuki is a player who plays best when she's happy. And I look at that environment and I wonder 
if she's going to be happy. Um, and I'm not trying to take any shots at Louisville. Like I think what they're doing is great and I'm glad they're in the league. And I, I know a few of their supporters and I like them. And um, it seems like their organization is very, very committed to providing for their players and, and trying to do the right thing and help build women's soccer. But I just don't think they're going to be a good team next year. And if I was Yuki, I might be looking at other options. Um, I might be looking at playing in Europe or I might be looking at going back to Japan or, or doing something different because I just, I just have a hard time seeing her. And I don't, I, I, obviously I don't hope that like, she's such an amazing person. And if you spend five minutes with Yuki, like I said, you're laughing, you're smiling. Like she is such an amazing person. And, um, and I, I just, it just makes me sad to think that, uh, that she's going to be in that same situation where I just, and again, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I just, I can't see her being anywhere near as successful with uh, Louisville as, as she was, and I think would have continued to be with Chicago. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, you know, we'll move off this eventually, but one thing I'm not sure I said when we first recorded um, talking about Yuki um, but I do want to kind of say here, um, because it's something that was front, you know, on my mind, but, um, a thing that when you talk about a player like Yuki and what she meant to the city, um, in terms of playing for Louisville versus other options, whether it's in Europe or Japan or whatever, um, one of the reasons that Yuki thrived here was that she liked it here and the realities of work visas and immigration and, and all of that sort of stuff that it's possible that Yuki's ability to live here is based on playing for Louisville. And, and so I think that like, there's that element as well, which is that I, you know, you, like John said, if she's looking at other options, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think if she wants to really jump into Louisville, I, I get that too. But one of the things that Chicago did, like this is something that Chicago did, is that they put in front of her this, this option of you like living in Chicago, you want to be here, you maybe want to be here long term in order to have the visa situation, in order to live and work in the United States you have to be playing for an American soccer team. That soccer team is Louisville now. Um, and again, you know, this is a business. It kind of is what it is, but that's a tough thing to do to a player like that and a person like that. And that is one of the things that has always stuck out in my brain is one of the things that I can't quite get over is um, that this this is like her life. And if she likes it here, she's going to have to make that decision about what her work situation is in the United States. Um, and we'll probably be talking about this for a long time to go. It's going to be a while before we're over this, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just think all the factors can, that we're talking about, well, to a certain extent, we're all coming into play. I think maybe when Chicago was trying to make some of this movement, right. Um, Cause once that trade was made, I mean, there was a, a, a media conference call that, that took place, obviously, and we got to hear a little bit more about that discussion. And I mean, we, 
again, the, the transparency was there. It got put out there. There were a number of things that came into play. Yes, something like the con- like conceptually speaking about, you know, the age of a player, where maybe they are in their career, uh, you know, financials, right? Money is a thing. Um, you got to play good players, good money. And uh, sometimes when you're preparing for the future and things that might have to come into play down the line, you sort of compare the timeline of that to the financials. And maybe that kind of came into play. Um, You couldn't protect every single one of your um, allocated players um, during this expansion draft that they were going to go ahead and roll a dice and do that. And they decided to not do that. And um, so eventually new allocated lists will probably come out and maybe they might look a little different and maybe we'll start to see bigger parts of that picture, you know, come into play uh, for the rest of us when it comes to maybe a, a move uh, like this that was made perhaps. Um, yeah, it's, it's big. And uh, you know, Yugi Nagasada very, very, very quickly since we're talking about the, the length of a, of a player's career and then where she's at, which is nearing the end of it very, very quickly became a player where you like pointed at and you're like, that's going to be a Chicago Red Star retirement. That's where she's going to end her career. It's going to be there. And it's going to be one of those types of moments. And um, sadly, <laughs> that's unknown. Now we don't really know what that's, uh, what that's going to look like. So there's all those added layers to, to that kind of stuff and um, the playmaking, right. And all of the stuff within the locker room and uh, what a player like that can kind of bring. And um yeah, I guess we're going to – we won't know until we know, and uh, we'll, we'll find that out. And then watching the expansion draft happen, uh, you start to feel <laughs> – you start to process things a little bit differently and in a certain kind of way. And when a move like that happens, right, we're talking about a Chicago Red Star scene that went through the 2020 that they had with the Challenge Cup, the, the fall series that they had, uh, how the offense kind of looked and how we got to see that really without a player like Yugi Nagasato and for large parts of the fall series without somebody like a Savannah McCaskill and wondering, well, what does that mean? What's that going to look like now that we had seen their absence in 2020 and now they're actually not going to be part of that equation anymore. So what does this offense look like? How does the attack get built? What's going to happen? And I want to use this time (laughs) to to plug us plug our Southside Trap because we had a, a fun little holiday wish list that we put out there for our subscribers only because we wanted to do a very special Christmas episode for them. And uh, that was something that Claire put on the wish list that she wanted this team to do something. <laughs> we needed someone else, Claire. Yeah. I mean, before we move on, I, I mean, I think that the only thing I just wanted to say, and I think John had something, I don't, I, forget if you had something else that you wanted to say as well but um i i think that in terms of the trade the yuki nagasato trade and then what we're we're pivoting to now is that these are the definitive things that happened in 2020 <laughs> like yeah. like it's not it's not you know making it to a challenge cup final it's not, not the soccer like, it's not the soccer like the def- like probably the biggest thing that happened with the red stars this year was at the end of it they sent Yuki Nagasato to Louisville. Like that, that's the thing in terms of the history of this team um, that they did this year. And so I think that's also part of why it's given so much weight. Like it's not, there's no campaign, there's no league season 
what they did was they played some games and then they shipped some players to Louisville. So that was just the final thing I wanted to say about that. I don't know, John, did you have a final? Word well, yeah. Cause you know, you had mentioned the business side of it, which of course you're right about, but we also know that in the NWSL in particular, that general managers, um, coaches often take other factors into account when, when arranging trades, right? So we know that when, Chicago traded Vasconcelos back to Utah. It was because she wanted to be closer to her family. We know that when New Jersey uh, traded Sarah Waldmo to, to Chicago today, it was because Sarah wanted to be closer to her family. And to take Yuki, who is you know an international and I'm sure knows no one in Louisville and has relationships here in Chicago, um, that's that's going to be a tough move for her, assuming she makes that move um, to, to reestablish herself in a new city because she had friends here and she had relationships here. Um, and then the flip side of it, just on a positive note, it does make me happy to think that her last moment in front of fans in Chicago was that 2019 semifinal in the corner, holding off three Portland players, killing the clock off. Like that was just such a beautiful moment of, of game awareness and brilliance. And um, that's something that I'll, I'll always remember and something that'll uh, be a very, very fond memory of her time in Chicago. That's so funny. Cause I thought when, where you were going, there was her last moment in front of fans in Chicago was playing the drums. Yeah. <laughs> John only speaks, John only speaks in soccer. Yeah. John doesn't speak in feeling. So well, everybody No, but like both good. both equally equally profound. But yes, yeah, so back to Sandra's point. Yes. So what we knew, so we you know, we just really got right back in our feelings. We were like back in it, but you know, it's been God, it's been what? Like two and a half two months? At least. Yeah. No, it's the end of of December. It's been a while. It's yeah, been a while party, since this happened. Yeah. The UK and Savannah trade happens just before the expected draft. Right. So, so it would have been like the fifth or something, fourth. It was like right before the election, we're going, I think. Two months. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so Sandra and I were talking last week about what we wanted. And one of the things that I said, um, and, and we both agreed on, was that um, they needed somebody else in the attack. And I didn't, I, I didn't say like, I want to swap. I want anybody out. They need something else than just what they have. And guess what, everybody? Uh, we got something else today. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it, guys. The Chicago Red Stars and head coach Rory Dames really made another trade. So the Chicago Red Stars engaged in a trade with Sky Blue FC. And they received and acquired Mal Pugh and Sarah Waldmo in exchange for a bunch of picks. They've got two, uh, they've got a draft pick, uh, two draft picks uh, for Chicago in the upcoming 2021 uh, NWSL draft. Chicago is still left with one remaining uh, first round pick. I believe it's number six. They also received uh, conditional draft picks. And they received international slots for 2021 and 2022. And that was period. There was no money exchange involved and no other additional players. And people thought, well, how did that happen? 
And the answer is Rory Dames. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And like when you when you say it like that, just like every not just that Rory Dames is a good general manager, because he's a fantastic general manager, arguably the best in the league. Um, but also with the Mal with Mallory Pugh, it just keeps going back to and Kaylee Watt said this about Chicago. They have a reputation for making players that are struggling good again. Like that is the new reputation for the Chicago Red Stars. And players want to go get that opportunity. And and that's what we saw. That's what we saw today. Thoughts, John? How do you feel? I, again, just to, to flip the script, you know, like I said, I've always given Rory a lot of credit. I think this was another fantastic deal that he made because th- there are some caveats, right? We have to say if Mallory Pugh gets back to, to being the Mallory Pugh that she was, you know, a year and a half ago or two years ago. Um, but she should be an instant upgrade to the front line. We know that Waldmo is a very uh, classy player. And I loved your comment, Claire, on Twitter today about how Chicago fans know how to appreciate good midfield play because we appreciate Vanessa DiBernardo. Like Waldmo is very much that kind of quieter midfield presence. Um, So I think that uh, in that regard, it's a great trade. We also know that Rory doesn't tend to like first round picks. Um, in four out of the last five years, they have not actually made a pick in the first round. Uh, Tierna Davidson is the only exception to that. And it's because they had the number one pick and because she is a potentially, I, I, I've lost superlatives here, but she is a potential, um, you know, 10 year top international player. So you have to do it in that case. But uh, yeah, he doesn't really like that. He likes to go a little bit lower in, in the draft. He likes to do two for one deals, trade his first round picks for two picks in the second round, bring in players that he's familiar with from the youth ranks, give them a year or two of seasoning and then kind of bring them into the fold. So I don't really think that those first round picks really even meant that much to him as crazy as that might sound. And Chicago's never really used their international slots. So in some respects, he traded things that don't really have a lot of value to him for two very, very good professional players and one who could be a game changer for the team. Um, the other caveat, of course, and I, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I should be flippant about this because I kind of want to say, like, uh, I hope you all have fond memories of the diamond midfield because right like how do you fit five five center midfielders and listen we know that he wants to play Ertz in the midfield and and part of that is because of the national team he wants to make sure that she's getting playing time in there at least pre-olympics to to solidify you know getting reps in the spot that she's likely to represent the U.S. but um, you can't build a midfield around those five players uh, once Ertz, hopefully at the end of the season, would then go back into the back line. Now you have four, and that's good. You want some depth because we know that um, out of out of Gatra, Di Bernardo, and Colaprico, they've all had injury issues. So that kind of seems to be a perfect solution. Um, I do think that they are still probably one attacker short 
of really, really pushing because I was putting together kind of a sample lineup after the trade today and really Watt and Pew are the only two that I can think, assuming they go back to a 4-3-3, are really the only two that I think are kind of locked in. And then, and, and there's seemingly a, a, a drop in quality after that. Yeah. It's, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no you're good. Oh, no, I, was, I was just going to say the, for me, the vibes right out of this trade, um, the, the players they acquired in, in Pew and Waldmore, especially for, for Pew, it's, it's like, it has those hints of, of deja vu. There's a real, uh, for me, and I'm sure many others, there's a real um, Morgan Bryan energy around her arrival um, to the Red Stars. Whether it's, you know, it's for me, I think it's probably a combination of things. It's, yeah, sure, there's an injury involved for, for Pew, but I'm sure there's also mental aspects coming into play for a player like that. You know, this is a player who really got thrown into the spotlight at an incredibly young age um, and not at a league level. We're talking an international senior national team level and um, wanted to stay on that path and ended up foregoing her, her college eligibility to, to make her way into the league and go pro. And maybe things haven't gone the way she was hoping they would go with, you know, with injury. And, and sometimes when you're working through those things as a pro athlete, that can weigh on you mentally. Um, so for me, there's that real kind of similar energy where they're kind of getting a player where they kind of have to work back to a certain physical and fitness type of standpoint. But I think there are also maybe mental parts of the game for Mel Pugh. And I think when we were all part of uh, that press conference today, um, it was her first one. So hopefully she'll get a little bit more comfortable uh, with, with sharing, but she did touch on that a little bit saying that for her, it was really trying to find a place where she could feel good again. And it's a very simple phrasing, but it has, I think a lot more depth. I think that people are, are uh, maybe willing to, to read into uh, that players are people and they want to be in environments where they feel good playing the game that they do for a living. And um, a lot of that echoed the sentiments of what we've heard, whether it was from Morgan Bryan or somebody like a Savannah McCaskill for a recent comparison, that the competitive aspect had to be there. So the energy around this is there's a little bit of deja vu for me for this type of player, but it's just, it's just a different name that maybe we're attaching to it this time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the one other thing, if you talk about similarities with Morgan Bryan or similarities with Savannah McCaskill, we are not encouraged to do this because you never know who is going to come back into the fold of this league coaching. So Morgan Bryan had the coaches that she had right out of college. Savannah McCaskill had the coaches that she had right out of college. I have nothing good to say about the Jim Gabera 2018 Washington spirit team. And she went into that team very young and there was a trust in development that going pro was better that stay in, than staying in college. 
they said, if you want to be ready for 2019, you have to go do this. And she fell into something that was bad. Like it was just bad. And, um, the spirit, that spirit team has talked about a little bit less because you had fewer off the field issues that you saw at sky blue, but I do not blame a player who moves from being a freshman in college to going to that professional team and stagnates. Like, of course, of course she does. So that is a thing that happened. Not a thing that you can undo. Right. But since then, you know, I think that Pew also wasn't wholly expecting being traded from the Richie Burke Washington team. I think that that was something that she was ready to take on. And then that kind of changed. And so now she has to really kind of take the bull by the horns here. And there's no reason to think that she can't do that. So I have a lot of empathy for her. Um, you know, the way John talked about McCaskill, she's a, that in a player that um, has dealt with coaching in this country in a similar way, unfortunately. And, and I'm hopeful that she has a chance here to really turn that around. I mean, the same way that we were hopeful that Savannah McCaskill would. So, um, you know, you hope this is a longer project. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that that's really important. That's a really important piece to all of this. You cannot lay this on the feet of the player. And does that mean that maybe, there are things that she should have learned in those years that she's now going to have to like catch up on probably, but does that mean that she can't do it? Like, no. So um, I think that's a complicated thing to talk about still, even in the modern NWSL is what coaches have the ability to do both positively and negatively to their players. Um, And I'm hopeful that what Pew finds in Chicago is stable and consistent enough that she can really thrive. You know, if I could just add on to that too, when you talked about that trade and maybe not being uh, or not expecting it, um, as I remember it at the draft, that was also right as the U.S. roster was coming out uh, for the next camp. And she also found out she she wasn't a part of that. So she had a very rough, I don't know if it was week, 48 hours, um, where she kind of got this this bang bang right in a row of two pretty pretty rough pieces of news and as somebody who went over and covered the the u.s last summer in france you i felt like and i don't want to put feelings um you know maybe that that are misattributed but it did feel like as somebody who was in those mix zones after games that she had headed into that tournament with different expectations and how that tournament turned out and um I just, you do have to wonder, because you guys mentioned her age, um, where she is at mentally and, uh, and if Chicago can get her, get her straight, uh, you know, and assuming that, that she has the right mindset as well. Um, I, I, I do think there's a, a fairly significant question mark, um, but I do think that Chicago represents one of only a handful of environments uh, that has the potential to kind of bring her out of that. Well, and one of the things that I really, that I, that struck me about the press conference today 
um, with Rory and the two players. And, and you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to just talk about Pew because Wolmo is a, I'm really excited. I feel so lucky to have her be on this team, but um, the part of it, and, and Rory talks about this a lot. He talked about this with Morgan Gatra. Um, he indicated to Pew that he like trust, he trusts her. Like he is trusting her to be the piece that they need. Um, and so the Chicago does a good job of putting that responsibility on the player to be like, we trust you to take care of yourself, to get better physically, to get better mentally and to, to work with us because we will, we will never, we're not going to let you down. We're going to be the same people day in day out. But then from there, we need something from you, but also we trust you to do that. And I think if there's any basis for a player team relationship to be positive for someone like Pew, it's that it's saying like, we're not going to, we're not going to baby you. <laughs> Chicago Red Stars are what? Say it with me. Adults. Chicago Red Stars are adults. They will support them. They will put them into a competitive environment every single day, but they need you to come the other 50%. Um, and we've seen a lot of players really respond to that. And I'm not sure that that's something that you see all the time um, in every environment. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. I think it could be great. I think it could be super great. Mallory Pugh, when she is good, and she's also a great counterattacking player, which is the way Chicago Springs stuff. Ooh, we could see some cool stuff next year, you guys. I'm excited at the possibility, I think. Yeah. It's exciting. I think that people should look at this trade and get excited about it. And yeah, not just Mal Pugh, the, the Sarah Waldmore aspect of it. Um, Chicago Red Stars are adults and Chicago Red Stars are Chicagoans. So Chicagoans, whether they were from here or not, um, that's part of the culture that you you adopt. You take on the persona of the team and the city in which it presents. And uh, the fact that she wants to, you know, Waldmore wants to come on into back into the Midwest and, and uh, be home, so to speak. Right. And um, in light of a year that's potentially going to have an Olympics, that's, uh, you know, is going to have the reintroduction of a challenge cup. That's going to have, you know, a regular NWSL season with expanded playoffs. Uh, yes, there are champagne problems right now in the midfield for the Red Stars. And yes, they are going to figure that out the way that they did when they had center back champagne problems. It's just a thing that happens. And uh, it's, it's a promising midfield with a lot of talent that the reality is, unfortunately, they can't always play together at the same time because of the aforementioned things like international players being pulled in and out of, of clubs, of course, but also injuries that we've talked about on this podcast numerous times that, you know, have, have kept players out and particularly that trio of midfielders with Gatra, Colaprico and Di Bernardo, you know, maybe struggling to kind of have consistent games with each other on a regular basis. So there is absolutely a place for a player like Sarah Waldmo on the Red Stars. Uh, we haven't, seen her in a red stars jersey yet but we've seen her in plenty of sky blue games and you can look at a player like that and just know immediately immediately that that player is going to click uh within the team whether it's systematically or mentally or whatever so when the red stars announced this trade today the general consensus was a win 
a win all the way around um, for for the team. Um, and that's where we're at in terms of bringing us presently for for the Red Stars and maybe sort of close this episode out. Maybe we could talk a little bit about still what we want because <laughs> when the trade happened, we got something else. But of course, nothing wrong with being a little greedy. It's still the holidays. Uh, so I'm going to ask you both, what's next for the Red Stars? Well, I mean, the thing that I think has been hinted at a couple of times is that Chicago might be getting an infusion of some kind um, to their front office. Uh, I don't, I have no inside information. I can only say what I've read in the Sun-Times and what Arnhem Whistler said today. Uh, That makes me think that Chicago in the way that it, like John was saying, it's wild that like you come out of this year stronger than ever. I think Chicago, you know, you can't be a single independent team with a single owner forever. And I think that Chicago had a choice this year to decide if they wanted to stay the same and kind of be where they are and do the stuff that they do and maybe lose some ground, but still be respectable. Right. Um, and all indications is that that's not what they want to do at all. They want to keep competing with the top. They want to compete for a championship. They want to um, not just be like good for an independent team. So um, it's necessary. I'm anticipating it. I'll be disappointed if I don't see it. Uh, so, yeah. So I think the next thing, the next thing in my opinion is an infusion of some ownership stability, whatever that looks like. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just like full steam ahead from there, I think. What do you want, John? Say I your- think, uh, well, actually, I, I really like Claire's point because I think that going back to the Louisville trade, I think there was a feeling that maybe that trade had been made because of money issues in the front office. And if if we're talking about increasing capital for the team, that will be nothing but good. Um, and, and that's not, it's certainly not a dig on, on Arnhem, who's an independent owner and, and maybe the last of the independent owners, um, and has done a tremendous amount for this team over, especially if you've covered this team, you know, since the beginning, like what they've done, even since 2015, you know, moving to SeatGeek and, and the training facilities and, and whatnot. But, um, we, we know that, there have been money issues, right? And we know that there has been a a struggle or inability or whatever word you want to use to bring a partner on. We know that they went three quarters of a season one year without a front jersey sponsor. Um, So they're clearly not bringing in the cash flow uh, that might make them more competitive, if we're being honest. Like they, I think this team is probably a slightly more competitive team if they have a little bit more uh, cash to play with. And then uh, the other one would be just a forward. They need one more forward. Uh, If we're being honest, like I'm looking at the front lineup who I think would start. And I think, well, this is my opinion, but I think Lubert's your third forward right now. And that's nothing against Lubert because I think she definitely has potential, but oh my gosh, are you really, you're really going to go into opening day with, Kaylea Watt, who looks like she's finally getting back to where she was. Pew, who is a rebuilding project, who you're going to want to build up, but then also put pressure on to perform. And Sarah Lubert, a second-year player. You can't do that, right? You need 
one more player. And, um, you know, look, they've got Hill and Mots and Doniak and, and Kjo. Uh, and I really wish that one of those players was going to be that, that standout third player, but they've, all of those players have had a few years in the league. And I think if we're really being honest, I don't think they're going to be the ones that take Chicago back to a final. So I think they're still one piece short. Oh, if I had a dollar for every time we thought Chicago was just one piece short. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but have you considered the effectiveness of just punching everybody else in the face? They, They do have 10 defenders who all have a fair amount of experience. Man, that's the other thing too. Maybe my other wish for next year is just that some of Chicago's defenders, and I don't want them to leave the team, but just go be free. Go thrive. Yeah, just like go up. Just go do your thing. Zoe Gorowski is already laying out the blueprint. Both Aaron Wright and Zoe Gorowski are in the gray area, I feel. Hey, versatility. I mean, you have a position, you have a situation because you're Aaron Wright and Bianca St. George, who are both very good players, might not start, at least as defenders. That's crazy to think about that your depth in the back line is that uh, deep. Yeah, it's wild to think about. And Aaron Wright is not a player who's unfamiliar playing up top with the Red Stars. I mean, she was part of a number of combinations that the Red Stars were looking at when. Sam Kerr was here for, you know, two years, 18 months or whatever. Um, yeah, not unfamiliar with the playing up there and playing out wide uh, for the team. So it's going to be exciting to see. Um, yes, there's a lot of options, but I, I also, I'm in agreement with everyone. I, I want another piece. I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to ask, <laughs> I'm going to ask both of you this, but I am going to make John go first because I've missed talking to John. I'm going to put him on the hot seat. He's our uh, guest. Where do you think – well, I mean, the pieces are not done. I understand. No one can perceive the future. God knows what awaits us. Uh, where do you think Chicago finishes uh, in 2021? Top Ooh, four? That's a good question. Yes, top four. Um, I'm going to say – I'm trying to think of all the teams now. Um, four. Four. Yeah, I, think I buy that. Yeah. Portland, North Carolina, and Washington right now. As of as of the time we're talking, are probably stronger. Yeah. Um, and then Chicago's four. Yeah. What do you think, Sandra? Top four? Yeah, I absolutely think Chicago gets top four. I, I think they flirt with the third spot. I think fourth is a safe choice. And uh, the fact that there are expanded teams, don't have to worry about it because Chicago can mess around for the first half of their season as the fifth or the sixth middle table team and still get a crack. Yeah. But remember I, when they were like eighth in week seven of 2019? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. hundred percent. But, but I think realistically uh, with what they're putting together, there's a shot to still crack top. Four. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling flirty with it. I'm going to say that they're going to get third. Yeah. And that, and who they are above is going to be, either Washington or North Carolina Um, Washington, because they have a ton of really great players yet to really put it all together. Uh, North Carolina, because that it's their destiny. Eventually Chicago is going to end a season above North Carolina. It has to happen. It's fate. It's what's meant to be. So I would like to think that they will third. I'm going to say third. That's what I think. 
I like it. Uh, there's, it's hard to believe that the year has uh, found its way to the end. And it's coming to a close. Uh, I appreciate John coming on to this podcast with us, spending time. Uh, John, where can the people find you and your work if they want to engage with you in your work? Uh, most of it's on Equalizer, and I'm on Twitter at Johnny Halloran, so you can come yell at me and my takes there. You should do that, John. It's one of John's favorite parts about this job. Engage with John. Ask he John loves, a question. He loves engagement, guys. Um, shout out to the both of you. I love you both very much. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. It was wonderful to hang out with you both tonight and recap this hell year together. Uh, folks, if you've enjoyed the content today, Please know that there's a multitude of ways in which you continue your support of the Southside Trap podcast, primarily by doing that on the Patreon. There's a number of tier subscriptions you could take a look at, and all it takes is $2 to get you access to our RSS feed and our podcasts and other tiers that get you access to incredible writing from Claire, previews, recaps, interviews, random things uh, behind the scenes. So take a look, try to find one that works for you. Um, there's a number of them. If not, it's cool. This year has been challenging. We know that. Claire? Yeah, I guess I just, I mean, I do just want to say, because this is the last podcast we're doing before the end of the year, um, which is just how I, you know, I say this all the time, but just how eternally grateful I am for everybody who has stuck with us this year. Um, we started this whole thing um, at, in like January, I think the first thing we covered was the draft. Um, we have done our best to like do content in the off seasons. We have covered games. We have just, we've done a lot of stuff just trying truly to be worthy of the support that we've gotten. And at this point we are nearing 200 subscribers on the Patreon. And, and I feel just very, very lucky because I, I want to be honest. I want to be clear, like the support that we have um, in terms of people who are paying money simply to read and listen to our work is I think it, it's very, it's very special. And, and it's, um, it's not something that I take for granted for one second. So I just wanted to, before we truly throw this year into the bin, I just wanted to say that, you know. The real MVPs of 2020 are the Southside Trap patron subscribers. Uh, we took a real big leap in a year that we had no idea was going to look this way. And a whole mess of you decided to ride along and really stay along. Um, the, again, the year has been hard, so some people have had to, to drop off, and, and we understand that. There's been lovely people who have dro dropped off and has, have let us know, you know, like, love hanging around, just can't do this right now. And that's cool. We want to know that we're, we're, we ended up still hanging in there and sticking around, and we'll be here whenever you decide to come on back, and we hope that you do. Um, we got all those different tiers there for a reason, because we understand that uh, everybody's situation is different. Um, so hopefully, uh, you do find one that works for you. And if not, we're still around, um, uh, trying to work out all the best rest stars content that we can for everybody. Um, please just know that if there isn't, uh, you know, the means to support 
on a subscription basis. There's a number of ways you can continue your support. Southside Trap Podcast, and you can do that by following us on all social media channels like uh, Twitter, Instagram at Southside Trap Pod with one letter P. And uh, you can go ahead and find us on all kinds of streaming services like Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. So go ahead and find us. Uh, you know, leave us a rating and a review. Subscribe. Uh, that stuff helps us out tremendously whenever we're trying to produce Chicago Red Stars content for you all. Uh, I hope everybody is enjoying their holidays. I hope everybody is uh, making safe choices and uh, doing a lot of self-care or a lot of communal care with people safely is the best way that they can. Uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful new year. Um, Who knows how it's going to look in 2021, but it is nice to know that you still got the people that you had in 2020 heading in. 2021 and that's the thing that I'm most grateful for so of course we had to end the show uh, with three of us all together so I'm super grateful for us. so thank you everybody for what's been an unforgettable year uh, please continue to wash your hands wash your face wear your masks uh, wash everything and uh, please 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 continue your support of black players and black life And uh, we will be back with you uh, with more Chicago Red Stars content.